Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes or by tweeting at me at Rick Lee James on Twitter. And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at Mr. Rogers Say, where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm so grateful for all of you who are listening today. What would cause a young woman, a good student and college athlete with a bright future to do the unthinkable and allow her newborn son to die? Michaela Munn pleaded guilty in 2018 to neglect of a dependent resulting in bodily injury or death. After serving six years in an Indiana women's prison, Munn is now free and speaks publicly about the painful sequence of events that led to Alexander Liam's death. She shares a message of hope and redemption for any woman who finds herself in desperate circumstances. Also, in 2009, Linda Zanacco unexpectedly had her life turned upside down after watching a television news report about the tragic death of a young infant abandoned in a trash dumpster. The heartbreaking report made her resolve that she would do everything in her power to ensure no infant would ever die again without a name or a proper burial. As the founder of He Knows Your Name Ministries, Zanako now works with numerous mothers to make certain that every infant who dies under similar unfortunate circumstances is recognized as a precious and important life. So Linda Zanako, welcome back to Voices in My Head. And Michaela Munn, welcome for the first time to Voices in My Head. I'm so glad to have you both here today. Thank you, it's great to be here. Thank you. I really appreciate being back on your show. Well, it's it's so good to have you both, and I'm and I'm very glad to meet you for the first time, Michaela. Uh, thank you, first of all, for being willing to tell your story, which I know is painful, and I and I just want to acknowledge that today. And for those who are listening today, these could be difficult stories, but this is also a story that we want to share because we believe God is doing a healing and miraculous work uh, as a result, as only God can do in the midst of such tragedies and heartaches. And so we're grateful for that today. So I wonder if we could begin today. We'll, we'll start with you, Linda. I wonder if you could tell us your part of the story before you met Michaela and maybe just kind of leading up to how the two of you met. And then we'll get into Michaela. And, and if you want to do this together, if that's more helpful, it, you know, feel free if you kind of want to intersect in the conversation together, because this is a ministry you're doing together. But I think we'll start this way and just see how the conversation goes. Great. Well, it's really incredible. Like you just said, it's so healing and redemptive. And um, when I entered into the story, of course, I couldn't see any of that because God doesn't unravel redemption until you're like into it. Right. 
but I was called uh, by someone involved in the case um, that said to me, you know, this father of a baby that died I, that I had heard a little bit about in the news because I'm from central Indiana and Michaela's from northern Indiana um, about this baby that had died. And this dad needed help after the criminal investigation had completed and the sentencing um, that it was time for this baby to be laid to rest, which was two years after his death. And I, of course, jumped in and said, yes, I would love to help this father because my ministry, although started taking care of abandoned babies and unclaimed babies in hospitals and funeral homes and things like that. Um, I've just begun to resource people who have all different kinds of needs in regard to infant loss. And so it was just, this was kind of another one of those kind of sidetrack stories and that I got to be involved in. And it, it was really so special because um, Alexander's dad is a really wonderful man. And I was really overjoyed to just stand with him and his pain and, and try to put something, some closure together and bring beauty of this really hard story. And so I drove from Indianapolis up there and I planned the burial for him and his family gathered and many people, you in there? many people came together in the community um, that had been involved in, been involved in the case um, from a legal standpoint, as well as friends of the family. And it was very somber and we met at the grave and we buried Alexander Liam um, with his grandparents and great grandparents um, in a family plot, which was just so special. And when I knew that that was what the father had chosen, I decided to do the funeral on grandparents day in September. So um, this is a real sweet time of year for me to remember him. Um, and I brought a butter butterflies for a butterfly release and an urn made by a man from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who um, also drove down for the funeral in Elkhart, Indiana. And we just gathered and celebrated this life. And we read scripture, released butterflies, we sang, and we just gathered. And there's something so sacred about coming together um, at an open grave and just realizing like the fragility of life and yet how sacred it is and that God is the giver of life and the taker of life. And there's so many things we don't understand, but I know because I've seen it so many times burying 37 babies that in 14 years of ministry, that legacy always comes from the grave. I believe that with my heart and I had no idea how incredible the legacy would be on Alexander Liam's life. Um, he has a very big name and, and it's, you know, I, I remember saying to his father, like, why did you give him such a big name? And he said, because Alexander the Great was just like a, a monumental figure to him. And I was like, gosh, I just think he's going to be great. And here we sit a couple of years later from, for me being involved, but for Michaela many more years later, um, where I wasn't even involved with Michaela. And so when I got this random email from someone who said they had been writing Michaela in prison and she wanted to connect with me. I actually didn't even know her name. I like had for, I mean, her name was just escaped me because years had passed. I'd been involved with the father. He and I stayed in touch. And so I had to like reacclimate myself to the story and kind of remember that, oh yeah, I mean, I officiated that funeral and I brought a headstone there and it's just like, it just all came to me. And I got back on my phone and looked at my pictures and videos. And I thought, I have the entire funeral of this child on my phone. And this mother didn't even attend the funeral and has never seen the pictures. And I realized I just had this hope that someday I would sit with her and share the pictures with her. And when that happened, it was a really special day. Wow. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I, that's quite a story. And Michaela, we, I want to give you a chance to, to kind of introduce your side of the story as well. And um, tell us what happened surrounding the birth and, and the death of your son. And, and if you don't mind today, and I know this is difficult, but I, but I want you to just know this is a safe place for you to share this today. Uh, thank you. Um, I was attending college. I was about done with my senior year. I was studying physical education and health, and I had a sexual assault that was not related to my son. And at that point, I didn't know I was pregnant. I started drinking. I felt disgusting and dirty and just not who I used to be. I started getting really bitter. Um, I also played volleyball. I was really angry with my teammates. But at the time, I didn't notice. I just thought that was, you know, normal coping mechanisms. Nobody really talked about where you're supposed to go or how you're supposed to feel. So I was just masking it the best way that I knew how. And um, by the time that I realized I was pregnant, I wasn't sober all the time. I was too busy fighting my feelings and fighting my emotions and burying them because I didn't feel like I had a safe place to express how I was feeling. And it's not to say that my friends weren't safe or my family wasn't safe. It's how I felt. Um, I felt like nobody could relate because nobody went through this. And lo and behold, after I got sentenced, a lot of the women that I was sentenced with had similar situations. And I didn't realize how uncommon it was to not express it because we're told to look or act a certain way. And I just didn't like it. So after I was sentenced to prison, I remember um, I didn't have a relationship with Christ at this point. My relationship didn't happen until I was in a suicide cell at Wabash. Um, I was in this nasty green turtle suit, which is like Velcro in this room. And I just remember going through the paperwork and reading it. And I was like, I don't know who this person is. I don't want to be this person anymore. She's scared. She's lying. She's doing all these things. I don't, I don't want that. And I remember my grandparents had a relationship with Christ, but I didn't. And I was like, hey, he's got to be real because all these people believe in him. So I was talking to him and I looked up in the light that's on for like 24 hours a day. And there's an edge of a cross in the light. And I was like, oh, there's my sign. Got it. All right. I get it. And I that was the first time I fell asleep. And I felt like somebody was holding me like I was going to be OK. Like this. We're going to get through this one step at a time. It's going to be fine. And when I went to prison, I just remember, oh my goodness, this is a reality check. Like everything that you're used to is now stripped away from you and you have to rebuild yourself from the ground up. Well, that's lucky for me, I was already at my ground zero. So I, all I could do was go up. And I remember starting to open up about my situation and starting to talk about it and finding that a lot of the women had very similar situations in their lives or somebody was affected in that way, but nobody was talking about it. And I didn't want to keep burying it inside. I wanted to be better, not bitter. Bitterness led me here. I didn't want to be here anymore. So when I started getting better, um, I started talking about the tombstone of my son and it said, he knows your name on it. And at the point when they were having the burial, I wasn't mentally able to understand or grasp the 
the um, stuff that I had done. Um, I caused chaos. I did that because I was hurting. So I hurt other people in return and people that I cared about. And if my parents would have shared it with me at that point, I think I would have just lost it. So my parents did what they thought was best and they protected me and I appreciate that. But the more that I started healing and accepting that I did this and accepting the responsibility that I chose this, I wanted to make sure that nobody would ever have to go through this again. So I asked to speak to Linda and at first, the person that I corresponded with was like, are you positive you want to do this? He said, you're going to put yourself out there and you may. And I said, I don't care about me anymore. What I care about is that somebody can learn from me. Um, that's why the Bible was written. The Bible was written because we can't make all those mistakes, but we can learn from people who have made those mistakes. So if we're faced with similar situations, we know how to react. And that's a gift for us as humans. The gift is to learn from each other and to grow. And oftentimes we don't do that. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too. And I said, absolutely. So we started corresponding with emails. And as my faith started to grow, I would ask her questions or I would ask her, how would I approach this? If I would get a bunkie that I wasn't really meshing very well with, how would I do this? How, do, how, how does this happen? And I started um, getting more active in my church. I started to participate in, a. <laughs> it's funny now, but it's in a mining group that we would do like little skits and stuff and we would minister to the women in prison. And it was amazing. The feeling that you would get the environment that you were in. And we had amazing chaplains that helped us and he would answer and she, both of them would answer our questions along the way if we had them. But it wasn't until I decided that the prison that I was in wasn't the one with barbed wire fence and bars. It was an inner prison that I couldn't, that I, I had to choose to change. And until I chose to change it, I wasn't gonna get better. So I started to slowly forgive myself for what I've done. Um, it's not easy. Nobody likes to admit that they were wrong and nobody likes to admit that they were stuck, but I was. And the first step for me to heal was to reach out to Desmond, who is the baby's father. And he was, like Linda said, he's wonderful. He's so kind. And he goes, I'm not mad at you. Um, I was, but I'm not mad at you anymore. So when I was released on my birthday of April 21st of this year, um, he took me to see Liam's uh, or Alexander's tombstone. And that was the first time that I saw it. And I remember just telling him, I'm so sorry. And he said, you can't change it, but you can move forward. So by teaming up with Linda and he knows your name and the safe haven laws and the baby boxes, I can advocate for women. Um, there are other options out there for women and then other than what I chose. Um, there's other safe havens that I didn't even know existed. I didn't know about local hospitals taking them. I didn't know that there was a law. I didn't know any of this. But if I did, now if you Google what I did, the safe haven baby laws in the hotline will pop up. Mm -hmm. At that point, it wasn't there. Um, the first baby box was put in miles down from where Liam was, um, Alexander passed away. And I mean, you, I didn't know this. How do you, how do you educate somebody? You start advocating. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to use my example because I wanted women to learn from my mistake and not to make the same mistakes I did. There's help out there.
there's people who care. Um, there's adoption plans that you can put in place if you, for whatever reason, cannot keep your baby. There's baby boxes, at least in Indiana. There's some in other states too, and they're working very hard to fix that. Um, especially with Roe versus Wade being overturned, that yeah. was a game changer for them. And I want people to learn from my mistake. Well, thank you for, for sharing that today, Michaela. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate both of you just uh, giving of yourself in this way today. Um, I, I'd love for maybe one or both of you to talk about the baby boxes, because I think this is one of the most powerful ministries. And as, as, I, as I was sharing with you before we started recording today, I've been working, as many of my listeners know, as a chaplain at a hospital nearby. And one thing that we do in the hospital, and I'm not, I'm not sure everyone knows this, but people, if they don't feel like they can take care of their baby, they can drop their babies off at the hospital uh, in, in Kettering. And it's a no questions asked type thing. We just want to make sure the babies are safe. And in a similar way, I, I think, Linda, this idea for the baby boxes that you have is, is a very beautiful and powerful thing that can really change lives in many ways. Could you talk to us a little bit just about that? I, I know our listeners would love to hear more. Well, the Safe Haven Baby Boxes um, are founded by Monica Kelsey, who's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And she had gone to South Africa and had seen um, the epidemic abandonment right, right there. And she herself has an incredible story being conceived in rape and being abandoned as a child and then later adopted. So there's nothing that's not in this woman's story. And so to see her be the champion in our country for this kind of a safe option for moms is really powerful. Um, she has just turned her life around and used her voice for good, just like Michaela is. I mean, you know, it was really a desire of mine as I was corresponding with Michaela for a year in prison to, I just had so much vision for how her voice could come alongside my work and Monica's work. And together we could put a face and a name and a real story to moms in crisis. And like Michaela said, the first safe haven baby box was put in like 45 minutes from her, but it was 45 days after Alexander Liam died. So even if she would have gone on the internet, there, there was no box anywhere, first of all, yet, but also there was no hotline. And I just want to acknowledge that the hotline is the crisis hotline that is a national hotline. It's like someone will answer that phone 24 seven is absolutely critical. And it is helping women um, all over this country make better choices. And so I just recently got some current statistics for safe haven baby box. Um, I just, when I spoke at an event last week, I got these. So I just, let me just read these to you. There's 121 baby boxes, 21 safe surrenders to babies, including seven in 2022. So 27, or excuse me, 21 live babies were put in a box. Um, a mother chose life. She chose this safe surrender, but I believe it's the anonymous option of the box versus the law that is really helping mothers in crisis. Um, 122 babies have been safely surrendered as a result of just the hotline. So those resulted in a, a handoff surrender or a mother who then got counseling and maybe chose an adoption plan like Michaela mentioned. Currently, there are boxes in six states. They are in Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, and New Mexico. 
And by the end of the year, North Carolina and Pennsylvania will have boxes. This is super exciting too. Late legislation has been passed in the states of Maine, Missouri, Oklahoma, Virginia, and Tennessee. So we are going to see five more states having boxes in the next couple of years. And these numbers are gonna ramp up, like Michaela said. I mean, the laws changing, the legislation changing everywhere is going to be what is just shifting this and the on-ramp to saving babies' lives under this organization is going to be the best option I think we have. And it's also, you know, all the dedications we do um, are covered by media. They're live streamed on media, websites, Facebook everywhere. I mean, the education and awareness that needs to go along with this is something we all have to become great advocates of. Because unless, like Michaela said, unless you know about it, you don't know um, what the options are. But, you know, now if a mother at 2.30 in the morning is in crisis and Googles, you know, I need help for a crisis pregnancy or I have an unwanted pregnancy, this hotline number is going to pop up. And that is going to be a game changer for that woman who can get another voice on the phone and say, you know, what do you need? Is it, you know, legal help, legal fees? You know, is it an option for adoption? Do you know what parenting resources you have? Is there anyone in your life that can help you? I mean, we do not want women to feel alone. So I want to just say my involvement and collaborative relationship with Safe Haven Baby Box came out of an abandoned baby here in Indianapolis. Baby Amelia was found at a park in 2015. And that's where I met Michaela. We stood over the grave of that little casket for that baby that had been abandoned and left and nightlife had attacked. And it was just so awful to read her autopsy results. And when I claimed her and named her Amelia, I knew that, that God had impressed on my heart that she was going to have the legacy of changing something about the safe haven law. And little did I know that when I gave testimony for the safe haven baby box law, you know, that this little girl's footprint, which proved she was real and alive and an image bearer of the king, was going to be on the Safe Haven Baby Box logo. And so I love to share her story at the dedications and just prove that she was alive and she was real. And it's not just a stock photo on that um, baby box, but that what every mother chooses to use her own feet to walk up to a box and choose life after carrying most of the time in secret. Um, she's choosing to give her baby a future, to be an answer to prayer for forever families, and to give that child a birthday. And I find that absolutely remarkable. There's no more passion that could burn in me for life than being a part of this organization. And I just know that Michaela's story, as hard as it is to tell, can become a joy to tell when you see it's changing lives. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that. And again, helping to get the word out is, is so key in this because a lot of people don't know what to do and where to go. So I thank you for that good work that you are doing. Um, not just advocating for life, but actually helping people find ways to help life to continue, even when they feel like they are trapped. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to ask you, Michaela, if you don't mind, um, I'm sure some people don't respond well to you and your story. Um, I wonder if you might be able to share a little bit, because I, I believe it must take a lot of courage for you 
to be able to tell this story. I'm sure people are sometimes less than gracious. I'm, I'm not saying they, they are, but I'm just guessing that because I know people. I'm a person. <laughs> I get it. Um, how have you been able to kind of walk in this new life that you've found and this new ministry you've found? Um, and even when sometimes I'm sure people are not as gracious as we would sometimes like them to be in this newness. Can, could you just share a little bit of that, of, of how you're doing, how you're feeling with all this? Um, that's a really good question. I know for, for me, and I, I'm sure Linda's heard it too, that they're not very, a lot of people are not happy. Um, they voice their opinions and a lot of them are very, um, not very good, but that all counteracts when I get that one email from somebody who I've never even met that said, I support you. Um, I get it. I've been there. I'm still there. I'm still stuck. How can I do this? And that makes all the difference. Um, and just like Jesus would die on the cross if it was just me, the one that sinned, he would still take my place. But everybody has sinned. And I've discussed it with a few close friends that I've actually developed a deeper relationship with. Some people have chapters or books in their lives that they don't want to share. But I've decided to share the one biggest thing that I have done so somebody else doesn't make the same mistake. And a lot of people won't do that. And that's okay. Um, if you don't care for it, that's okay too. But I've been forgiven by the greatest person you can ever forgive. And do I make mistakes? Absolutely. I'm not perfect. I still fall flat on my face, but I have people around me now that will be like, eh, you probably shouldn't have done that. You probably should do this. And I've got a church family that surrounds me. My family has been awesome. I've had friends in, since I was down that was supporting me, that forgiven me like right after it happened. So I have amazing support, which helps. But I also know that a lot of people don't have that. So when I was in prison, I offered to be that support for some people. I, it didn't have to be money. You could just sit there and listen. And I've noticed that's one of the major problems that we've had is a lot of people don't feel they have that safe space to express how they really feel. So if I could provide that for just one person, if I can save just one baby, then I've done my job. And I know my son would have been super proud of it. Um, the baby's father, he tells me he's proud of me all the time. I've come a lot farther. I still have a long way to go, but I'm grateful that I'm not the same person I used to be. If it wasn't for me losing my son, I would not be the person I am. My son saved me. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that today. And you actually said something that's very near and dear to my heart when I think about the work that I do as a chaplain, because one thing that we talk about often it's different from church work in that oftentimes in churches, we spend a lot of our time proclaiming and witnessing too. But what I've heard you say today, if I'm hearing you correctly, is you are enabling people to be witnessed, not just witnessing to them, but allowing them to be seen and their stories to be heard. And so often that is part of what makes a difference in a person's life when a person is truly seen, because God is at work in all of our lives. And sometimes we just need listening ears that can listen to us, hear our story, and kind of together help point away and say, look what God is doing. 
and how he is actually moving already in your life before I even showed up on the scene. You know, that's kind of the beautiful part of the story that I'm hearing from both of you today. You had no idea that you'd be brought together. You had no idea that there would be a relationship that would be formed. I, I would assume probably, Linda, at some point, you would probably have thought in your life at one point, how could I ever love a woman who would have done this, you know, to a child? And then at the same time, to come to a point where you're loving friends, where you're ministering together, um, it's the kingdom of God at work in it a is. beautiful, powerful way. Really you know, this morning in my devotion, I was reading from John 21, 15 through 17, and it's, you know, Peter, you know, do you love me from Jesus? You know, like three times. And Peter's like frustrated, you know, like, yes, I love you. And Jesus commissions him and says, feed my sheep. And right after that, the commentator says, you know, Jesus's forgiveness of Peter came with a commissioning. And I think that we forget as Christians that we don't get to just live isolated alone. Like we are called to live in community and live honestly. And if we really want to live redemptively, then we must share our story. <clears throat> and, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, I think that's the, the shackles of shame are coming off Michaela day after day after day, because she's living honestly in community and with her story. <clears throat> and she's, discreetly sharing it. I mean, yes, it's public, but it's, she's not just doing it anywhere. You know, she's, she's starting where it's safe. And I feel like if more people lived honestly in their testimony, I think we as believers would live more strongly in our redemption and the testimony of Jesus would be louder and stronger and more powerful. People would believe in a powerful Holy spirit in Jesus. If they really saw the powerful redemptive spirit, like in Michaela's story. And yes, there are people that don't like that I'm friends with Michaela. They, they say to me, you know, how could you forgive her? And I'm like, actually, it's not my job to forgive her. She didn't offend me. Like she's made right with her maker and, and Alexander Liam's father and her family. And, you know, kind of to your point, Rick, like I didn't expect to fall in love with her like I have and respect her and, and believe in her as a woman and a redeemed daughter of the King. I didn't know what I expected, but like corresponding with her by email for a year was just this natural, Oh, there's an email from Michaela. What's she up to? You know, just like a friendship built. And then when her attorney said to me, you know, I'm going to try and get her a hearing to see if she, we can reduce her sentence. I was like, it never occurred to me that that was possible. And he said, would you testify for her? And it was like the easiest yes that came off my lips, really, because I was like, of course, I know her now. I mean, we I counted. I think we had 70 plus emails exchanged in the course of a year. And because she's so honest and she just was typing to me from her heart you know, from where she was sitting. And she said to me, I don't want another woman to sit where I am sitting. That motivation came from the very depths of her being. And I was like, I can totally embrace that and champion that with you. And to give testimony on her behalf that day and have the, the judge say, you know, take those handcuffs off of her. I see no reason why she shouldn't just go home today. I mean, yes, that's what we wanted and hoped for, but I kind of dared not pray for it because it was just so 
crazy, but I felt like we were in the thin space between heaven and earth in the courtroom of heaven as I watched this judge free her. Yeah. And, the, you know, they said she was a model inmate and all the things, but it was like, there she was just sitting there with handcuffs on in her mm-hmm. jail attire, mm-hmm. just raw her. Mm-hmm. And I felt like God saw her that day and yeah. gave her the grace and mercy that we really ultimately need to give everyone. And I feel like it's honestly going to be one of the greatest go down for me in my ministry life as one of the greatest moments and experiences I've had was to witness that and to see her open her hands free and turn around and hug her mother. I mean, I was undone. (laughs) I just feel like it's with those open arms that I saw her turn and do that, that she is now living her life open-handed. Yeah. surrendered to her, the truth of her life, kind of like come as it may not caring if other people judge her. Um, mm-hmm. like I know I'm about my father's business and I'm just going to go do it. And so I'm over here cheering you on Michaela every day. Yeah. Well, and, and yes, I thank you so much. The shackles of shame are coming off day by day. I love that you said that. That's a, a, you know, that's one of the best lines maybe for us to end on today as we have our closing conversation together. Um, Thank God that he extends such grace to all of us and that all of us do not have the worst day and the worst mistake of our life broadcast for everyone to see. Um, and so thank you again, Michaela, for your courage and speaking on this. Thank you for the way you're letting the grace of God transform you day by day. And I do continue to pray, as Linda just said, may the shackles of shame come off day by day. And may you walk in this newness and uh, that God is providing. I'm so grateful to have you as a sister in Christ. And uh, I'm glad to be able to visit with you today. Linda, it's always a pleasure to talk to you as well. Thank you so much for sharing this story. For all of our listeners, uh, we're going to have all the information uh, in the the links to the show today. So if the internet works the way it's supposed to, uh, you should be able to straight from anywhere you're listening on this podcast, just click on the show notes and you'll be taken uh, to find out more information about the wonderful work that these ladies are doing. So as I say to uh, my guests each week on this show, uh, Linda, Michaela, thank you for being some of the voices in my head this (laughs) week. Thank you, Rick. Really, you're you're just your heart is just so beautiful, and we, I bless you in the work you're doing, and pray that as you are bedside serving and bringing the kingdom of light and love from the gospel, that um, God just blesses your you and your family with favor. Thank you. I receive that. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com, where you can find out more about me. Get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.